Right now, back to the phone lines. It's going to be Baron, Marianne, James, and Sue. Good morning, Baron. Good morning, Bob. Morning, sir. Looking at um, magnolia trees for the backyard, and I've got a spot in particular that's full sun. It's going to be standing by itself. And when I think magnolia trees, I always think of them in old established neighborhoods. And uh, just wanted to double check with you that they would do okay. One would do by itself. What? What are? Uh, where? Where are you located, Baron? Out here in Shiner, It'd okay, be in Black Gumbo. Yeah, if, yeah, you you will do fine there. Uh, if you told me Stone Oak in San Antonio, I'd tell you no, find something else because they do like a deeper soil. Here's the thing about magnolias: they like deep soil and they like cool roots. Magnolias should not be trimmed up into a shade tree per se. If you wanna, if you will look where you see the really beautiful old magnolia trees, they have limbs that are practically touching the ground. Those that that. Those limbs, very low down, tend to keep that soil much cooler. Uh, They do drop those big leaves periodically, which kind of builds up a mulch on the surface of the ground. So if if you are looking for and if you have room for a tree that can take up some space, um, then I think a magnolia, if you love magnolias, would certainly do fine for you. But it's not really a tree that's going to do well if you try to trim it up to live under it, so to speak. Uh, You can't turn it into the shape of a cedar elm or an oak or even a pecan and still have it thrive because it like say it needs those very very low limbs on the tree to make a really pretty tree so if you can accommodate that in your yard then um then magnolia should do just fine for you yep that's what i want yeah i want the low-hanging branches are there particular names or i know there's dwarfs and there's Tall ones, there well, there's there's not really, but uh, there are just a couple of things to know. There are a bunch of deciduous magnolias drop their leaves every winter, uh, principally Magnolia solangiana, and it has a lot of hybrids. People commonly call them tulip trees. It's not the liriodendron that I grew up with in Tennessee, but um, that's not what you're looking for. You are looking for the evergreen magnolias, and you're basically going to have two choices the one you're looking for is the big one uh properly called magnolia grandiflora the one that you will want to avoid one that we use a lot here in san antonio area but the one you want to avoid is one that is called little jim g-e-m it's not really a dwarf but it's a slower growing one and it even at maturity makes a much more compact tree but you want just standard old southern magnolia magnolia grandiflora and um, just, you know, put it out there in full sun. Watch your watering. Always water thoroughly when the soil's dry on the surface, but don't keep it just soggy wet. They're not a super fast-growing tree, but uh, they sure do have those big, beautiful white blooms, and it'll it'll remind you of Louisiana or Alabama or the places that you used to see in the big ones, but you should do fine in China with one of them. When it's established and several years old, will I still need to... Um, supplement it with water. Um, <laughs> we li- we live in Texas. <laughs> yeah, you will need to supplement it only only in very dry periods. And and of course, Shiner, your further east you go, typically the more rainfall we have. 
But I remember, what, three years ago, East, East Texas was in a huge drought. Beaumont was on the verge of running out of fresh drinking water. So I will say you will not have to water regularly, but the vagaries of Texas weather, we can have we can have a drought any time. And if that happens, you very definitely will need to water. You'll probably want to maybe supplement the mulch on top of the surface of the ground, which is going to help somewhat with water conservation. But let's just say that you, you will... Get to the point that you seldom have to water it, but uh, just depending on the weather, uh, there are going to be summers that you will have to water. But it's not going to want water like a cypress tree or No, or, like a, or a sycamore or anything else, not at all. Correct. Okay. That's what I need to know. I have some spider lilies in a pot. Um, there's no problem tearing them apart and replant, transplanting them, is there? What time of year do these particular spider lilies bloom? Are they spring blooming or fall blooming? Spring blooming. Okay. Did you want to wait till fall to tear them apart? We always try to separate spider lilies and things like that. We always try to do it opposite their season of blooms. If they're fall blooming, like many of the schoolhouse lilies and things, we divide them in the spring. If they're spring blooming, then we try to divide them in the fall. You can okay. do it any time. You can do it any time, but if you want the minimum damage, that'd be the time to do it. Okay. Yeah, they're in a pot, and I'd have to really tear them up pretty good <laughs> well to cut them with yeah you're off the hook for doing it right now i'm going to do that in september october yes sir thank you for your time always a pleasure thank you for the call this morning marianne's next good morning marianne good morning bob good morning i was in a box store earlier this week and, and i really got excited because i saw kumquat trees there okay the meanwhile variety but it had on the tag, it said that it was sprayed with uh, uh, neonicotinoids, I guess. Neonicotinoids, uh-huh. And uh, they said it was mandatory in the state of in the state of Texas, but... Um, they say it's, it's mandatory to label it. It's certainly not mandatory to do it, but it's mandatory. It's, I, I wish we had that on lots of other things. Neonicotinoids are a very commonly used insecticide uh, that are very, very hard on bees. Uh, I would not let that mm -hmm. stop you from buying it. They are not especially persistent. Uh, I would probably spray that uh, tree with a mixture of uh, seaweed and molasses just to speed up the breakdown of any residues that are left behind. But uh, um, that's, that, that's not going, that's, a, you know, uh, meanwhile, kumquat is one of the sweet kumquats and, oh gosh, it's a wonderful tree to have, you know, in your garden, but, uh, that's, that's sort of in its past. Uh, I, I would, it would not stop me from buying it. Really? I mean, it, it, it doesn't have long-term effects no. on humans. I'm, I'm just, I don't know. Well, it's certainly not good, but um, there's not going to be any lingering. It's not a systemic. It's not actually into the juices of the tree. It's not going to wind up in the kumquats. Uh, it is a surface killer that is used against, uh, you know, citrus scale and a few other things like that. And sadly, uh, there's still too many people out there that, that spray poisons, whether they need to or not, whether there's anything out there they need to kill or not. And which is, you know, the, what has led to colony collapse disorder in bees and lots of other things. So I would, uh, for me, it's, it makes me not think as highly of the 
company that is producing those trees but i'm not going to let it stop me if you know if we knew what was sprayed on half the stuff that's in the nursery industry you'd never buy it or plant it but uh this is not a lingering persistent uh pesticide it's just one that the uh, and i you know probably it's an effort to pacify uh people who are concerned about bees as we should all be that they have finally gotten them labeling the the use of this stuff because it is nasty material it's something they don't need to be using but uh i had a big grower one time i said why in the heck do you maybe those weren't the exact words i used probably a little stronger but i said why are you spraying and they said well the homeowner can tolerate a few pests but we can't tolerate one single pest on our plants and i'm thinking give me a break and uh, this is why they do all this stupid spraying and they're actually creating more problems than they're solving but they their heads haven't seen the light of day in some time but uh long story short i would not let that deter me from buying a good plant because uh compared to what most of the other shrubs and things like that you're going to find uh this is no worse than what they've been sprayed with repeatedly and it is not a persistent pesticide it is one that is fairly quickly broken down and goes away and the only time that the bees would come in contact with it anyway is while the trees were in bloom. Now, kumquats can bloom at almost any time of the year. Like I say, when I bought that plant, first thing I'd do with it is give it a good seaweed molasses spray. That's going to speed up the deterioration of any residues that are left on there. And the bees really aren't going to come in contact with anything but the flowers. So uh, it's it's just... uh, uh, your concern is valid, but I certainly wouldn't let it buy, keep me from buying that tree. You're not bringing, you know, typhoid Mary into the, into the family. <laughs> Cause I have a lot of flowers right now. I have sure. <laughs> hundreds of, well, it seems like hundreds of bees in my backyard right yeah. now. And I just didn't want to do anything to hurt them. Well, if you, if you want to be, is, are these kumquats in bloom now? No. Then the bees aren't not going to be attracted to them, so don't worry about it. Okay. If they were okay. in bloom, I'd tell you to isolate them. You know, keep them, you know, somewhere that the bees couldn't get to them. You know, for a week or so. But the fact that they're not in bloom, or the other thing you could do, if you see little buds on there, pick the flowers off. Uh, like I say, kumquats can bloom many times a year. They're not like okay. the tangerines and lemons that only bloom once. And so, if I were really concerned, I'd tell you for the next three months, just pinch off any buds you see coming off out and that way the bees aren't going to be going to those trees and so they're not going to come in contact with anything okay you uh i had checked at your nursery you're still not selling any are you we can't find any right now and um so no i wish we could i had ordered the kumquats and the grower said they're just not big enough we use a grower by the way that does not use the neonicotinoids but um Mm -hmm. we just haven't we don't sell a plant unless we can be proud of it and quite honestly there are not a lot of growers that live up to our standards and so we if i mean if we could find a good source of them would have them tomorrow the miwa is the sweet one some people like the sour kumquats too for making uh uh marmalades and things like that but miwa is just oh that's such an outstanding tree i would encourage you to get it and enjoy it (laughs) thank you so much bob appreciate it good question thank you for the call goodbye all right let's get back to gardening and let's get back to these phone lines it's going to be james and sue and amy and bill and james is first good morning james morning bob how you doing well my saturday's off to a good start what about yours 
Oh, I'm just uh, thinking about those huevos ranchero this morning, man. <laughs> now that's not a nice thing to do <laughs> to a guy that's sitting here three hours and some odd away from getting some breakfast. But yeah, huevos rancheros with a good, uh, you know, a good little uh, picante would would be a very nice way to start the morning. Yes, sir. That's a fact. Hey, um, I got a citrus question. Okay. The uh, woman that called earlier, you guys were talking about kumquats. Can I use the uh, Changsaw uh, rootstock for my kumquat grafting? Absolutely. Absolutely. Changsaws uh, would be a fine rootstock. The only thing wrong with Changsaw as far as uh, producing um tangerine is just it is so darn full of seeds but it is a healthy hearty rootstock and uh it certainly would be a very easy one for you if you got a shangsha tree uh, you've got an abundance of seed and it would be a fine rootstock to use now it's not going to give you the dwarfing uh effect that something like flying dragon would but that's not what you're looking for anyway not really just something that's hardy and and uh, i can get a i've just had it with those commercially produced um, rootstocks on yep. those citrus they're, they're just really in bad shape yeah and i wanted to try to do a little bit better job on the rootstock production <laughs> in my uh root maker equipment well and that's that's a good thing and uh as you know though the main reason i think that we use grafted trees rootstock production is because uh, citrus just does better on a rootstock that produces a a tap root a deep root as opposed to cuttings where you're going to get a weaker lateral root system for the first couple of years so yeah changsha should be a uh, should be a great rootstock for you oh that's good news all right thanks i appreciate that i've got a question uh some sometimes i'll uh cover crop plant cover crops this time of the year like a, a sudan in the five foot wide beds they're about 130 foot long mm-hmm. and i'll uh use the tractor tiller and get tilled up and use some uh growing green and get you know a little fertilizer down and then i'll drill uh, about every seven inches with the the push planter yeah sudan but the old timers were telling me there was a, a sweeter, sweet sorghum that they used to plant many years ago that would had a little bit more sugar in it than the, the Sudan, and nobody knows what I'm talking about. You know, call over to Douglas King Seed. Ask to talk to Dean Williams. Dean is has been in the business for more years than I'm sure he would like to admit. And uh, Douglas King Seed has been around for many, many years, and I don't know anybody to be better qualified to answer that question. I've always, you know, my only thing, I love Sudan as a feed for cattle just because it's so much higher in protein than old coastal hay is. But uh, call tomorrow morning or uh, Monday morning, call and ask for Dean and uh, ask him that question. And if anybody in the world knows the answer, he will, and he's a heck of a nice guy to talk to to begin with. Yeah, I was listening to the old timers talk, and they they were talking about a red top or uh, Hygaria or mm-hmm. something like that that had a little bit more sugar in it, and that that was kind of perked my interest as far as cover crops go because you're going to let them grow to about five or six feet, and then you're going to shred them down, and then they're going to uh, 
flower again and try to set seed, and then you're going to have to shred them one more time before you plow them. Yeah. But uh, more sugar is more better. Well, uh, you're exactly right. I used to hear my grandfather talk about that, and that's when I was much too young to really take an interest. And uh, uh, he was just, you know, talking to farmers. Uh, he he didn't raise cattle. Uh, he he had a interesting story. He uh, uh, Sears and Roebuck loaned money to people to businesses they like to help them make it through to the depression. Uh, they loaned my grandfather money to keep his doors open, and then he repaid Sears by shipping plants for him. When you bought plants through the Sears and Roebuck catalog in this part of the country, my granddad was probably the one that was growing them and sending them to you. So he wasn't a farmer per se; he was a true plantsman and nurseryman and i'd hear him talk about and uh you know high year and things like that but that was long before i i had any sense about me whatsoever so uh they're just names to me too but if anybody can get you that information uh, or tell you where you might find it uh, uh dean probably be the one to do it okay i'll take your advice and get on the phone with me next week i just uh you tell him i said hello it's been a while since i made it over to douglas king but it's uh it's just lack of time they're they're a good company and uh and and just really nice people to do business with i'll do that and thanks for your advice this morning always a pleasure james let me know how the citrus grafting works out yeah, I've got a grafter that's coming out of a grafting school, and I was going to do the root stock, and he was going to do the tea buds. It should work out perfectly. I look forward to seeing the results. Oh, something's going to blow up, but it's a lot of fun. <laughs> I wish the next thing would blow up would be a good rainstorm, but that's a whole other subject. I need to go on and talk to Sue. You have a great weekend. Good morning, Sue. Good morning. Good that's morning. What I was going to say, where's the rain? Yeah, that's sort of what I say, but... You know, if you uh, if you believe the the weatherman, you know we probably have some oceanfront property in Arizona. We can sell you too. Mm-hmm. I I just I just can't believe these guys can get it so wrong. And maybe it's coming today, but it, it's just so funny to me that on Wednesday it's a hundred percent chance of rain. On Thursday it's an eighty percent chance of rain. On Friday it's a forty percent chance of rain. And Saturday morning. You know, there's nothing out there, so I kept waking up the night looking for. I glanced at the radar, see if there was any big storm fronts forming, and so here we are Saturday morning. There's some weather out in West Texas, but we'll see. <laughs> we sure need yeah. it. Yeah. You know, my husband and I were just talking. If you were in the health profession and made so many judgmental errors, <laughs> boy, what a problem! That well, would be. if you were in the retail profession, you wouldn't have very many customers very long. Sure. So, uh, it's somebody I heard driving in this morning. I was listening to the outdoor news guys, and they were saying uh, the only people that could be consistently wrong and get away with it are weathermen and stockbrokers. Yep. <laughs> well, how can I help you today? Okay, um, I'm using prepared uh, litter products for my chicken coop, and I'm doing a deep litter method with the intention of I've had a whole year of chicken poop and litter in there and i'm going to compost it with other stuff and have this great product very good and every well maybe every week you talk about pickler ram and i thought oh my gosh you know the main part of this is chopped up straw so i called the company to find out what type of herbicide they use and just tell me if you're familiar with this at all it's not pickler ram thank heavens but sencor and the ingredient is metribuzin I don't Any? think that's a sulfonated urea herbicide. Picloram is sold under Grazon and P plus D, and um, I, I'm afraid I don't know those, but um, uh, the question to ask would be, are they persistent herbicides? And, um, 
And that that's the question I would have to ask. Um, I did see the word in some of the, you know, looking around about it, mm-hmm. the word residual herbicide. Um, I, I, yeah, then I would have, I'd, I would be very cautious with it. Uh, technically, and I am not an organic, organic chemist, and my organic chemistry professor would readily confirm that, but uh, it's the class of herbicides that are called sulfonated ureal or SU herbicides. Uh, the okay. question to ask them, is this an SU herbicide? And if it is, then you're going to need to stay away from it. Okay. And then, also, you know, you always talk about testing it. I haven't composted all this yet, but if I took some of the, you know, what's in the coop and mm-hmm. just put a good couple handfuls in a little bit of water, soak it for a few days, and try what you say about putting it on a tender plant. That would tell you in a hurry whether you had any in that batch. The problem is that, uh, you know, with these uh-huh. hay growers, it's... Uh, you know, did you get some of the hay that wasn't sprayed? Did you get some of the hay that was sprayed? Did you get where the guy's sprayer malfunctioned and you got an extra large quantity of it? So it's kind of like testing dog foods, which we want to do for glyphosate residues, but one batch can vary so much from one batch to the next. So um, that will certainly tell you if there's any herbicide in there. What I would probably do, do you use a lot of straw or a small amount of straw? Um, if if you know how like a chicken pine oh yeah shaving bag comes, right. I've probably used about two and a half sizes of, of those over the year. You know what I would do is when you get it, I would test it before you mm, put it in with okay. the chickens, and that way okay, yeah. um, you're going to have a fresher material to work with. And if you if you find something that has a problem, you can just discard it. It's not horribly expensive, and you can discard it and, you know, look for, a, you know, the next batch may or may not have the same problem. But I'd, I'd, I would test what you have now, but going forward, I would, uh, you know, test what you buy before you expose the chickens to it, so to speak, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, okay. Very good, and I will call them and ask them if it's a SU herbicide as well. Very good, and they probably okay, won't know, you. and so they'll call their company, and hopefully they'll get back to you. They were pretty responsive. I was surprised. It's called Flock Fresh, and I, so well, we'll see. It always you you should tell them what your concerns are, and maybe they'll be a little more um, careful with what they use and what yeah. they produce because we just. Uh, and it's the, uh, the researcher is Elaine Ingham, former professor of, uh, biology at University of Oregon, who has done so much of that research. And she says, there's just nothing in nature that breaks it down. Even the, the nasty stuff that, uh, things, well, like Roundup and other things that we don't like, at least that does eventually break down. The problem with SU herbicides is they just don't go away. And, uh, so I'll be very interested to hear what you learned. Yeah, they had said most customers weren't concerned with that. They were more concerned with what pesticide is used in there. Sure. Yeah. All right. Very well. Well, I appreciate the call, and I look forward to hearing the results. You take care. Thank you, Sue. Bye. All right. Back to gardening and back to the phone lines. Amy, Bill, Frank, and Mike, my next four callers. And good morning, Amy. Hey, good morning, Bob. Good morning. I want to know when is the right time to put uh, okra on ground. Put okra in the ground? 
the the soil needs to be warm i think we are i mean i had frost at my house last week tuesday morning i will be planting my okra sometime around the first of may now if this weather turns to where we're looking at 85 90 degrees every day you can probably plant it uh say sometime after the 15th of april but if we continue to have cool weather i know we'll be safe to plant it by the first of may but okra is one of those plants that doesn't like it warm it likes it hot and you know i if you if you put the seed in the ground too soon it just doesn't germinate so i'm going to tell you first of may is going to be totally safe if we have really warm weather for the next two weeks then you can plant it a little bit earlier or do i put it in the pot and then uh, transplant it if you want to do that you can um I don't have the time to do that. Okra is a transplantable crop, and you can certainly start in little pots and set it out if you want to take the time to do it. I normally plant, you know, two 30-foot rows of it, and that would take several hours to, uh, you know, start it and put little transplants out. I just want to be able to pull a furrow and put the seed down in there. But if you want to start your okra in pots, that, that certainly is fine. You can't do that with beans and peas, but with okra, if you want to start your transplants now, put them on a propagating mat to keep that soil good and warm, uh, that'll be fine. Three, four weeks from now, you should have a little okra plant about six inches tall, and you'll be that much further ahead. No, no problem at all with that. Okay, thank you. You're sure welcome. Real good question. I appreciate the call. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Bye. Okay, Bill is next. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Dr. Bob. I'd actually gotten through uh, about an hour ago, half an hour ago, and, and my call got dropped, you know. Oh, man. Having <laughs> bad cell service is about the only negative associated with living in the country. <laughs> well, you don't have to live in the country to have bad cell service. <laughs> I'll tell you that, but it's just, you know... I don't know how we really got along before we had cell phones, and we just have to remember that they're not perfect. I apologize for the inconvenience. That's not on your end. It was on mine. Uh, You may have talked about this already, but I learned this week that the company that has manufactured Semaspore is not going to make it anymore, and it's not available. That is correct. Um, We are hoping there is a different company that produced it for a long time under the name of NOLO. I'm sure the name taken from Nosema Locustri. And um, we're trying to find that right now. Um, the people that made the the uh, uh, semaspore didn't sell it directly. They th- sold through Hydro Gardens and some of the other people that provide beneficial insects and things. So we haven't been able to go directly to them and say apparently it was a family operation and they just decided they didn't want to work that hard. But uh, we, we've got several people working on it, and so uh, hopefully we will have that bacterial bait. But uh, uh, right now they're telling us, you know, give us two weeks to try to find it, and then we can give you an honest answer on it. Well, if you hear anything, would you announce it? You'd, oh, absolutely. You know. Absolutely, yeah. because, uh, you know, we just never know which year the grasshoppers are going to be bad, but we've got to get it out while the grasshoppers are still small, which means that, you know, the clock is ticking. Now, having having frost like I had last Tuesday morning has slowed the grasshoppers down a bit, but, uh, yeah, I, I most certainly will let everybody know. Perfect. Oh, and, and one last editorial comment. Uh, isn't it interesting that the weatherman, use these models and they they can't get the weather right 
two days away, yet they're <laughs> telling us what it's going to be like 20 years from now. <laughs> Don't get me started. You know, I personally think, and, and I know, I know one good weatherman and he doesn't, when he's, when he doesn't know what it's going to do, he, he tells you, he said, you know, they're just too different, too many different variables. I think one of the problem is they've got so blasted many models to look at. It's kind of like statistics, as you well know, in uh, your many years of business, uh, with statistics, you can prove anything. It's, uh, what is it they say? There are three classes of misinformation, lies, damn lies, and statistics. And that's kind of what it is. I think they, they've got so many models. It's just, okay, which one shall we go with? And rather than say they don't know, they just stick their neck out and nobody lops it off. So they keep on doing it over and over. But I, yes, like you, I, I find it very interesting. I know, you know, again, talking about my growing up years, my grandfather owned a little farm outside of Dallas and had a tenant farmer that lived down there, Mr. Gardner. And you can go ask Mr. Gardner what the weather forecast was, and he'd give you a whole lot better and more accurate answer than the weatherman ever did because he'd been living on the land and watching nature for more years than you or I have been alive. Well, for what it's worth, I'm hearing rumblings of thunder up here in Berlin. <laughs> Well, let's hope the rain follows. Uh, let's hope it all comes down in liquid form and it comes down in big quantities. Yeah. Thanks, Bob. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure, Bill. Good to talk to you. All right. Back to gardening. It's going to be Frank and Olga and Norma. And Frank's up first. Good morning, Frank. Uh, oh, good morning. Morning, sir. Uh, yes. Hackberry trees. I have two of them growing out from my foundation of my house and the problem is is that my house sits on piers if i cut them things down would they would they root underneath my house and start growing under my house well they might try to sprout up but there's no light to speak of under the house and they could put up a little shoot or two but it's just going to wither and die so it's not going to be an ongoing problem um plants of course can only live where they have sunlight and that's minimal if any underneath so by all means cut them off do everything you can to get rid of them and they might sprout they might put up a little shoot that comes up six inches or a foot tall but unless you've got big holes in the side of the house and you've got a lot of sunlight getting under the house no uh, there's no no nah, no 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 uh, that that should be the least of your concerns i give you plenty of other things to worry about but don't worry about that one okay hey thanks a lot and i appreciate your time and you have a super show yeah, well thank i you so much i thank you frank i appreciate the call uh, olga is up next you wanted olga hi good morning bob good morning um, I have a quick question about citrus. Okay. So I'm from Divine, and I have um, several three-gallon uh, citrus plants that I want to make a raised bed for. Okay. Um, on our area that I'm thinking of planting it, it gets a lot of uh, sun in when the sun sets in the west. Mm-hmm. I've got two um, Miwa. Mm-hmm. I've got one and I've got two Miho and one Meyer lemon. Okay. Um, I did not catch a second when your phone cut out. You had the Miwa, the Miho, and the uh, Meyer lemon. What was the uh, What was the second one? The Sito. Okay, very good. And what was your question about them? Uh, Norma, your phone seems to have gone dead. Um, I mean, Olga, I'm not hearing anything. Are you with me? Okay, check check your phone. Be sure you didn't hear the mute button. But uh, hit the mute button. Um, uh, 
Are you can back? Can you hear me now? Bob? I can hear you just fine now. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> All right. Great. Fantastic. I'm sorry. Um, how far apart do I need to plant those? Well, your your Miwa kumquat is a is a very compact little tree. It's at maturity. It's only going to get four or five feet wide. Um, your lemons and your satsumas. Now, these are trees that are going to, you know, the top's going to be at maturity, say, 10 feet wide. So um, the Miho, the Sito, the Myers lemon, I'd have those about 12 feet from center to center. But uh, your little Miwa kumquat, it could be planted uh, maybe eight feet away from one of the other trees, and it would be fine. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, wonderful. Fantastic. Thank you so much. I do enjoy your show. Well, I appreciate your call this morning. Thank you. <laughs> Goodbye. All right. Well, we'll probably finish up the hour with Norma. Good morning, Norma. Hey, good morning, Bob. This is uh, Norma. I'm calling about my orange tree. Okay. Uh, it's, it's like as tall as my house. But the oranges are pretty juicy, but they're all sour. Is there any way I could graft it or make the oranges more sweet? You certainly could graft it, but now has they, have they always been this way? Is this uh, yes? Okay, they've always been that way. Yeah, it may very well be that uh, what you have is actually the rootstock that grew out which is called sour orange. And uh, if it, I mean, just on a year-to-year basis, sometimes we can get different levels of bricks, different levels of sugar in the fruit, which, you know, will make some of them sweeter than others. But if it's always been this way, it probably is just rootstock, and it would be fine. The fun thing about it is, since it's gotten this big, and that's something you probably want to, you know, get a professional grafter or somebody to do for you, but you could graft, like, five different kinds of uh, citrus onto this one rootstock. You could put uh, lemon, you could put a tangerine, you could put a lime. You could have, uh, I think, and, you know, they actually do this to sell on actually much smaller trees, but they call them a fruit cocktail tree, and you can have several different kinds of citrus on one tree. So I'm afraid that's the only way that tree's ever going to produce a decent sweet, sweet fruit orange. for you but uh you you can have some fun with it and like I say you can put several different kinds of citrus on one rootstock <laughs> what should i do just cut it down <laughs> well that's it, it's again that, that it's tree is huge you should see it yeah <laughs> the, the, juice, the oranges are so good it's juicy but they're just sour <laughs> well uh you know you can always make you know artificially sweetened just go with cane sugar or honey or something like that and you'd have to sweeten it but hey we grew up in a world where every grapefruit we had was sour and we still ate lots of grapefruit yeah so uh maybe sour orange isn't so bad you just have to uh, and again grow them up i remember you know sprinkling that teaspoon of sugar on top of that grapefruit every morning for breakfast and <laughs> maybe maybe that's what you need to do with your sour orange but there's nothing you can do to change yeah there's nothing you do to change a tree all right thank you <laughs> well you're welcome thank you bye bye